freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm Dan Todd, the other guy. Our theme today is the power of one. And we've got a great lineup of guests. We have Todd Ratner. He's a he has 20 years experience in lobbling second, lobbling, wow, <laughs> am I having a trouble today? And we are live today too, by and the we way, are. lobbying there you go. second amendment issues. He's a president of the NFA Freedom Alliance and the current director of legislative affairs for knife rights. He is an avid hunter, shooter, and NFA owner. And you may ask, what is an NFA owner? What is an NFA owner, That's Dan? the National Firearms Act, the NFA regulates the manufacture, transfer, and possession of certain firearms and accessories, including machine guns, short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns, silencers, suppressors, and items defined by the ATF as any other weapons, or AOW. Now, see, I think that's going to be really interesting because, um, you know, some people would call that, you know, we're talking insider baseball now. You know, the average brand-new gun owner is, is like, what did you just say? But... Stick around because these are important issues. They're important to why we vote to protect our Second Amendment rights. And, um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, suppressors. Those are like, you know, James Bond. (laughs) But there's a lot of really important and legitimate uses for suppressors, including protecting your eardrums. So it is a health care issue. Believe it or don't. Yeah. And and there's people out there, even uh, lawmakers, that don't even... Realize that it's legal to own a machine gun. It's true. So stick around. Todd is going to be our entire first hour. He has got a lot to tell us. Great, fascinating guy, Todd Rathner. In our second hour, we have Anthony Imperato. 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 He's the owner of Henry Repeating Arms, which is about to make history right here in Arizona. It's going to have a 1,000-man shoot. Now, that means women, too. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't decide that they had to be like super PC and, you know, it's like it's a 1,000-man shoot. They're going to shoot 1,000 Henry rifles in one round. One, just All fire. at the same time. All at the same time. I'm excited. We're, we're going to be in it. it. Yeah. We've got two guns, and the guns are custom made for this shoot, and I'm excited to see the gun and to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. We also have Sidney Powell, nationally known former federal prosecutor, He's a lead counsel in more than 500 federal appeals and author of the best-selling nonfiction book, Licensed to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice. I even have the book with me. Look at that. Huh? So. Licensed to Lie. Is, is that what Hillary is? Licensed. <laughs> Licensed to Lie? We're going to be nice. Oh, uh, did I, you know what? Remember, we're supposed to pray for secret, all of our leaders, Secret words came out. I'm <laughs> sorry. Secret <laughs> words came out. I'm trying to refrain. You know, we've been, we haven't had a live show for a while. So It's true. It's true. It's, we're a little loose here this right. morning. Okay. So, all right. Well, so the theme, the power of one, right? So I'm, I'm thinking about that needs its own title. Like maybe it's the thread because it is really the thread that runs through the show that, that I always think of. So the power of one, when you listen to some of the political elite, you will hear phrases like, you know, individual citizens can't fight federal policy because they have no collective power to negotiate. Now, how backwards is that, right? And then when you listen to your friends and neighbors, you will hear defeating words, something to the effect of, One person can't make a difference. What are you talking about? And I know that you don't believe that. You might think you believe it, but you don't. And here's why. Because history was made 
one person at a time. By one person offering a vision to their circle of influence, it empowered another individual person to do the same, and on it goes. Yet we tend to forget that, or we are afraid to be that person, because it's intimidating to speak up, right? It comes naturally to little children, but when enough of the PC police tell that child to shush or be careful what you say, somehow it becomes unnatural and scary to stand out and speak our minds. A passage in scripture quotes Jesus as saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And that comes from Matthew 19, 14. Now I know some of you get nervous when I start talking Bible stuff, but there's truth to the words that I just said, that I just read. If we can reclaim that childlike freedom to speak in truth and love, the kingdom, the nation, the world, whatever word you want to put in there belongs to that person. And I think our guests today embody that boldness and that freedom to speak for others who have become frozen. So the power of one. Well, Cheryl, we have some great news today. We do. I'm excited to get to that. A judge has dismissed the Newton, Newtown family's lawsuit against the gun makers. You know, uh, right after Sandy Hook, some of the uh, victims, the parents, decided they were going to sue um, Remington and Chem 4 Holding and Riverview Sales for um, selling a firearm that is too dangerous for the public. What? That's what their case was. Does it explode in your hands or something? Well, How is it too dangerous for the public? Because it was, they said, was based on a military-style rifle. Mm. And well, the judge I'm reading here now says that the plaintiff's allegation did not meet the narrow exception. And this is why they they shot this this case down. There was a narrow exception for a negligent entrustment that is allowed in the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, the PLCAA. And it did not meet this standard uh, standard under Connecticut law. And, you know, I am so I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful that it went this way. And I. I, I'm, my heart hurts for the families. It right. really does. But to set this kind of precedent, to be able to sue gun manufacturers and say that their gun is too dangerous or that they marketed it in such a way that it, I think that was part of it that we read a, a few months back, that they marketed their gun in such a way that it, it, it appealed to murderers. Like what? What are you even talking about? That is a, that is a dangerous road to go down, and I'm glad that the PLCAA helped to stop that. And uh, NSSF Senior Vice President and General Counsel Larry Keene, we've had him on the show before, said that the court ruled as it should in this case. We are again reminded of the bulwark that the PLCAA provides the industry against unreasonable litigation of this type, even as presidential candidate Hillary Clinton has repeatedly called for its repeal. So, which is it, Dan? Is she is she trying to do away with our gun rights or or not? Well, she says, I'm in favor of the Second Amendment, but but ooh, you know this thing has survived again. for 250 years. And the Second Amendment, right? And not Hillary. Well, Clinton. Hillary Clinton might have too. <laughs> I I'm not really sure. I need to check on that. But just but, but. again, we have that word. But I'd like to make a point. I mean, if if you could sue a manufacturer for somebody taking a product and being abusive with it or causing damage, then why can't we sue the automakers when a drunk driver is in a car? How is that any different? Right. I mean, it's not. Or maybe the drugs or alcohol. Right. Right. Industry that fueled the behavior. I mean, there's so many ways that lawyers can get a hold of these things and start becoming inclusive of scissors. My goodness, right? How about uh, hammers? Don't they say that more hammer people are killed with blunt, uh, being struck with blunt instruments like hammers? I mean, can we sue the the craftsman? The steel company 
Mm-hmm. Every, the person that sold the hammer. Mm-hmm. The guy that dug the right. whatever. What's it made of? <laughs> it's not lead. Steel. Steel. The yeah. iron out of the ground. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it is a very spider webby, um, very bad direction to try to be going in. And that is a, a platform that apparently Hillary has um, started softening in her rhetoric as we get closer to the general election. But uh, some of those WikiLinks emails that came out, we just found this uh, in my inbox again from the NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation. It says, um, dated October 10th, 2016, again by Larry Keene. When it comes to what Mrs. Clinton really intends to do if she's elected president, the more important revelation came not from her carefully selected words in the debate on Sunday previous, but rather in a Friday WikiLinks release of a hacked email from her campaign press secretary, Brian Fallon. Here it is clear to see that the Clinton agenda of the primary season does remain in force. She says not only, you know, of course, they want the, the background checks that, that they've, they've changed from universal to now uh, they're using the phrasing comprehensive. So it sounds a little bit different. So that's designed to trick the, the company enhanced or strengthened. Those are the three words that you need to be looking for and listening for. But also, uh, by executive order, closing the gun show loophole, which one does not exist, which basically means no private party sales is what she's after, and imposing manufacturer liability by executive order is what she's after. So seriously, folks, if you vote for anyone other than the Republican nominee... You are, in a sense, and for all intents and purposes, you are voting for gun control. You are voting for our Second Amendment, which is in our Constitution, which is in the Bill of Rights, to be altered, probably irrevocably. Well, that would be opening a big can of worms because people that um, manufacture, if anyone abuses anything, they could be liable for it, from cars to hammers to, because it's going to open up. If they do it on firearms, why wouldn't they do that on your soda pop can? Exactly. Well, we've got to run to commercial, but please stick around because when we come back, we have wall-to-wall Todd Rathner coming up. Uh, he has got so much to talk about where, as it pertains to NFA laws. He's running for the board of the NRA again. He's involved in knife rights, and uh, he's got a lot to share with us. So stick around. Hi, I'm Paul Lathrop. I'd like to talk with you about the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network. As many of you know, you'll likely have to win two fights if you have to use your gun in self-defense. The first fight is the gunfight itself. The second fight is the fight to clear your good name through the legal system. You don't need to draw your gun to find yourself in a legal battle for your life and freedom. Even if you do everything right, you may still be prosecuted, which could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. The Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network is an official sponsor of the Self-Defense Radio Network, and they will completely take that worry away by giving you financial assistance and legal assistance if you have to use your gun in a legitimate self-defense situation. In my case, it was $12,500 just to get out of jail and get the attorney started. Don't let no overzealous anti-gun prosecutor make your life miserable because you chose to legally defend yourself. Sign up at armedcitizensnetwork.org for only $135 for the first year and discounted renewals. Or you can call 360-978-5200 and just tell them Paul sent you. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. 
Bluegrassradio.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, educate, and inform. It's sponsored by AZ Firearms, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. Can't get that pitch that Cheryl uses. The biggest little gun shop in Arizona. Yes. (laughs) The theme of our show today is The Power of One, and our first guest is Todd Rather. He has 20 years experience lobbying, there I go again, (laughs) lobbying Second Amendment issues. He is the president of the NFA Freedom Alliance and the current director of legislative affairs for knife rights. Who would believe that we'd have to have that knife right? I'm telling you. He is an avid hunter, shooter, and NFA owner. Todd, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hey, thank you. I'm sorry I butchered that lobbying. I'm just having trouble with that today. It's Monday, you know. Uh, um, is it Monday? No, it's, it's Saturday. It seems like Monday every day. Oh, my goodness. Day. I'm going to send him on break, Todd. So, anyway. Hey, Todd. Can <laughs> Glad you, to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little about what the NFA is? Yeah, the, the, the National Firearms Act is is the federal law that regulates the uh, the sale and possession of uh, machine guns, uh, silencers or suppressors, whatever you want to call them. It's the same thing. It's an interchangeable term. Short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns, and a category of weapons known as any other weapons, which is like things like pen guns and other things. And it also regulates uh, destructive devices like hand grenades and rockets and some other things. But uh, it's the federal law that, that, that regulates all of those uh, all of those items. And um, the, the ones that most gun owners are are interested in are are the um, primarily silencers or suppressors whatever you choose to call them and short barrel rifles short barrel shotguns and of course for those that can afford them um, machine guns so I was you just uh, answered the question that was forming in my mind so like why would the average person listening who doesn't have a gun that's shaped like a, a an ink pen <laughs> you know right why do we care? about the NFA, and and I really think that um, one law affects another law, which affects another law, and so really we're basically just trying to pry the government out of our business and say, right. you know, look, the Bill of Rights is the, supposed to be the firewall that says, you know, you stay on your side of the fence, government, let the rest of us stay on our side of the fence, and let us you know, have things like suppressors that aren't just for spies and ninjas, right? What, what, what are the, let's say legitimate. Okay. That's the wrong word, but, but what's the, the average use for, for something like a suppressor? Yeah. Well, the, well, the the common, I think the term you're looking for is the common. Common. Good. Thank you. And, and look, I, I formed uh, the NFA Freedom Alliance, which is an organization of folks who are interested in, protecting the, our right to be able to own um, items that are regulated by the National Firearms Act, because in, in truth and reality, they are no different than the average everyday firearm. Um, I mean, and, the, and the, the NFA in and of itself and, and its enforcement by the ATF is absolutely absurd. But um, before I go into the absurdity of the enforcement of it, I'll, I'll answer your question about why the average gun owner can care about uh, uh, the, and, and care about this issue and care about the, the common use of, um, uh, of some of these items. I mean, for instance, uh, silencers are, it's a misnomer. And in the industry, the, the, the industry now calls them suppressors because essentially they suppress the sound of a gunshot. They don't silence it. It's not like the movies where, uh, where, where it sounds like an air gun. And uh, it's, it's the, the, all it does is suppress uh, the muzzle blast so that it is what is called hearing safe, and it reduces it to a certain decibel level so that it's hearing safe when you fire a gun um, so that you don't damage your ears. And the, the practical applications are, uh, are enormous, and, and the only thing that has prevented uh, silencers or suppressors from really uh, hitting the mainstream is the $200 tax that you have to pay to the federal government and in, in, in the time that you have to wait in order to own them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, right now what's happened, though, because of computers and because of people, um, uh, because the, the $200 tax is nowhere near uh, as expensive in, in relative terms 
as as it was in 1934 when it was introduced. In 1934, when they introduced this tax, it was exorbitant. I mean, it was it was a massive amount of money. Exactly. And today, you know, yeah, and today people look at that and they say, well, all right, so the average suppressor costs about $800, and so I'm paying a 25% tax to own it. Uh, on top of the regular sales tax and other taxes, excise taxes that we have to pay. Well, I could suck that up in order to be able to to own a suppressor to protect my hearing and the hearing of my children. Well, look, the the, the real world applications are are many. Um, first of all, with shooting ranges, pardon the the play on words, but with shooting ranges under fire from their neighbors, mm-hmm. uh, being able to being able to suppress the the sound of gunshots a little bit and and lessen the amount of noise um, is is a big help. Uh, For instance, um, uh, the Tucson Rod and Gun Club uh, years ago was shut down because of noise complaints. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that that was devastating. I mean, there were 80,000 uses of that range a year that, you know, that that had to go away. Um, And if if we would have been able to employ the, the, the wide use of suppressors there, it may not have been it may not have been as big an issue. Um, people use them. I'll tell you the biggest use that I have for the suppressors that I own is with my kids. When, when I take my kids out, I've got a nine-year-old and a 16-year-old. Now the 16-year-old is very well versed in, in the use of arms and, and is, is very skilled and is extraordinarily safe. Um, my nine-year-old is learning. So when you're trying to teach someone and you, and you put a 22 in their hands, um, Sir, you can shoot it without without earmuffs, but do you really want a nine-year-old to shoot a a supersonic twenty-two uh, with no earmuffs at all? And and the answer is no, because there still is some sound that can that can damage their hearing. Mm-hmm. So if you put a suppressor, if you if you put a suppressor on there, um, you can really you can really suppress the sound and lessen the amount of sound so that you can keep the earmuffs off the child. Well, what's the advantage of that? Well, the advantage is obvious. You, you can speak to the child without having to shout past the earmuffs or past the earplugs. And so you can give instruction to someone uh, without having to shout and, and so that they can hear you clearly. Then you, you, you apply that same application to a hunting situation. Mm-hmm. And, and you think about the safety issues. You think about the issues that a, uh, either a parent or a grandparent or, or an aunt or an uncle or a guide needs to be able to speak to the hunter in whispered tones when you're hunting so that you can, for instance, if you're looking at a, a herd of elk and, and you want to point out the, the right elk for the child or the, or the new hunter to shoot, whoever it is that you're helping, um, instead of having to take their earmuffs off or, you know, what people usually do is hunt without earmuffs or hunt without plugs in their ears. So they don't have the ear protection on. And so, their, their hearing is damaged. I mean, mm. when you fire a, a, you know, the average 30 out six rifle, you know, the average, the average everyday common hunting cartridge, it produces a, a very high decibel level somewhere in the, in, in on the order of 140, 150 decibels. I mean, that's, that's going to damage your hearing. So if you can suppress that, uh, down below a hundred decibels, um, or, or even get it down to even like 110 decibels, then you're going to be able to uh, preserve hearing and not and not cause permanent damage. And we all know we've all been in a room full of shooters and trying to talk to them, and and we all know that the, the, the hearing damage that is uh, that is present at the average uh, cough, Dan, uh, cough, cough, yeah. Because yep, yep. <laughs> well, Todd, I think even another uh, issue is the safety as far as if you're out hunting. If you have your earplugs on, you can't hear your environment. You can't tell if there's a guy on a motorcycle. You, there's a lot of things you could miss. And I think it's important that you not wear plugs when you're hunting so that you can hear. So a silencer, a suppressor would help that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, 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 one, of the, um, that's one of the big issues that we face in, in a number of the states where I've lobbied to, uh, to have... Um, suppressors legalized for hunting because in a lot of states including arizona it was it used to be legal to own them but you couldn't use them for hunting right and and game and fish officials and not so much in arizona because we were able to talk to them privately but in other states like oklahoma i had a huge battle it took me uh since 2009 or 2010 
to change that law, uh, and I had to go back twice because they allowed it on private land, and then and then in order to get the public land, I had to go back again, uh, which is pretty common in in the legislative arena to have to go take pieces and then go back and get more pieces later. But um, you know, the, the the common argument is well, poachers are going to use them at night uh, to poach deer or elk, and uh, and we're not going to be able to hear them. Well. A poacher is, by law, by definition, a lawbreaker. So do they care whether there's a law against hunting with a suppressor or not? I mean, it's the stupidest argument in the world. Well, I look at the, as as the liberals, you know, that we have out there that might think that, oh, you put a suppressor on a gun, there'll be so much crime. And I look at it this way. I mean, think about it. Your pistol is going to be six inches longer, maybe 12 inches longer. Yeah. And one of their biggest arguments is people can conceal and carry a gun and cause crime. Well, I think a suppressor, that's ruled out because it just adds, I, I think it adds too much to the gun. I mean, you wouldn't well, use look, a suppressor. I, I, mean, I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, look, the, the truth of the matter is, is that whenever we, whenever we try to pass any kind of a pro-gun, uh, pro-Second Amendment legislation, the other side comes up with any argument they can possibly think of. None of it is rooted in logic. It is never rooted in logic. It's never rooted in reality. It's never rooted in anything based on experience. It's rooted on emotion and what will, what will conjure up the craziest image in a legislator's mind that they can come up with. So whenever we try to chase down any of these boogeymen that they put out there, um, all we have to do is use what we know to be the facts. And as you stated, uh, we know the practical, the practical implications of adding a, uh, a, an eight or 10 inch device to the end of a, of a handgun, for instance. Uh, the practical applications are that it's, it's going to be very hard to, it's going to be very hard to conceal. But we also know that whether it's concealed carry or open carry, we know factually that the people that are either carrying concealed or carrying openly are, statistically less likely to commit a crime than even a police officer. So it's, 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 these are all absurd notions. I mean, don't, let's not forget that the same people 20 years ago when we were trying to pass concealed carry in numerous states, whether it was Florida or Arizona or some of the other early states that passed concealed carry, the police chiefs came out and argued that people were going to shoot each other over parking spots and, and road rage incidents. And it was going to be through the roof. We were going to have death. You know, the death toll was going to be massive. And those arguments were proven completely wrong by 20 years of having a CCW program in 40-some-odd mm-hmm. states. Absolutely. So now many of those same police chiefs, when we tried to pass constitutional carry, for instance, in Arizona, and we were successful in doing it, they came out and made the same arguments and said, you know, our CCW program is the best program in the country, and we should just leave it alone because it works really well. It was the same people made the same <laughs> argument. So, so these arguments are just they're, they're just absurd. And we know as gun owners that it's what's, what's in your heart and what's in your mind is what drives whether or not you're going to commit crime, not, not, not the availability of, of certain tools. Exactly. Well, listen, we've got a break for commercial, but you're sticking around with this, right? Yes, I sure am. Awesome. And got when we come... An hour. Fantastic. And when we come back, Todd Rathner is going to talk to us about a town here in Phoenix, a city, in in Arizona rather, that is destroying public assets simply because they happen to be firearms. Stick around. We're going to talk about that. Hey, everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. 
Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Pot of Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Pot of Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at potofgoldestate.com. Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. Don't miss out. Everything is going, going, gone at potofgoldestate.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And we've been talking with Todd Rathner. Now, Todd wears many hats, but he is uh, he has experience lobbying for Second Amendment issues for many years. He's the president of the NFA Freedom Alliance and the current director of legislative affairs for even knife rights. And we're going to get to knife rights in our, our next segment, which is our last segment with him today. But right now, uh, we want to talk about something that's going on in one of our cities here in Arizona. Uh, apparently, Todd, they're destroying public assets, like thousands upon thousands of dollars of public assets that could go yeah. into the, the public coffers. Um, I think that may be against the law. Tell us about that. Well, look, it, it's um, it, right now we've, we've only got the tip of the iceberg. And, and so far, we, it could be it, based on what we've seen so far, we think it could be hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, my gosh. In, uh, in public assets that are being destroyed by the city of Tucson. And just to give you a bit of history, back in 2000, we revised the Arizona Firearms Preemption Law here in Arizona, which says that the cities and towns cannot make their own gun laws and cannot make policies, rules, ordinances, or taxes related to guns. And so, and so the city of Tucson was the biggest violator at the time where they wanted to regulate guns in all kinds of ways, and we wanted to put them in as tight a box as we possibly could. And back in 2000, we passed a law that, um, that strengthened our, our, our standing firearms preemption law. And then every single legislative session since then, we have strengthened it even more. Why? Because the city of Tucson runs off the rails and tries to regulate guns in any way they see fit. And they try to find little, little ways to do it. And so one of the things that happened is, if you notice, there hasn't been a gun buyback in the state of Arizona in a number of years. And one of the reasons that there hasn't been a gun buyback is because what was happening was cities like the city of Tucson we're buying these guns uh, from people with either gift cards or even public funds in some instances, but many times it was with donations. And they were buying these guns and then and then destroying them. And we said, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy these guns from people, uh, first of all, they should be run to make sure they're not stolen. And if they are stolen, they should be returned to the rightful owner. Um, and and before you before you destroy a gun, you should find out, make sure that it 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 doesn't belong to somebody. And then further, if it's if it's a gun that has not been defaced or is not defective and it can be fired, then it should be sold because once the city comes into possession of it, it becomes a public asset. And the city of Tucson said, well, no, we're not going to do that. And there were a couple of other cities also that said, we're not going to do that either. If, if we get a gun in our possession and we don't like the gun, if we think it's either a, a quote-unquote assault weapon or a handgun, we're going to destroy it. And we said, well, you can't do that. Uh, we're going to stop you from doing it. We actually passed the law that was signed by Governor Brewer, that says that if they come into the possession of a firearm and it's legal to possess, in other words, it's not um, uh, an altered firearm like uh, uh, an illegally possessed machine gun or a short-barreled rifle or short-barreled shotgun that's been illegally cut down, um, or the serial number has not been defaced, then it has to be sold to an FFL, and then the FFL can, can either give cash to the city, or it can give resources to the city, like body armor or something like that. In other words, they can trade, they can do trade-ins like a lot of departments do. Well, the city of Tucson um, has, has not complied. 
And we've suspected this for a long time. And the truth of the matter is, and, and not a lot of people know this, but um, uh, the, the truth of the matter is, is that the city of Tucson uh, has not been complying and has been destroying guns for a long time now, even after we passed the law and it was signed by the governor. And they've basically said, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, we're just going to do it and, and, you know, come and try and stop us. So what we had to do was we, we had to pass uh, another law. And the other law said that it put some teeth in the preemption law. Basically what it said is, is that any individual or organization that feels that they've been adversely affected by the destruction of these firearms or has been adversely affected by a violation of the city of the firearms preemption law in general, uh, can sue. Basically what it does is it's a, it's a technical term, a legal term called standing. You can't sue somebody if you don't have standing. Otherwise the court will throw it out. So we created in the law standing for organizations like, for instance, the NRA. So the NRA now has standing to sue the city of Tucson if they want to. The other law that was just passed says, that in 2016 says that if any member of the legislature thinks that a city or town or county is violating any any provision of state law or the state constitution, they can report that to the attorney general and the attorney general is going to have to investigate um, whether or not they are in violation. If they're found to be in violation and they don't cease and desist, then they could lose their, their portion of the shared revenue, which for the city of Tucson, I believe, is $170 million a year. So they, they, they risk a lot by mm. violating the law. Mm-hmm. So here's what happened. Essentially, I was approached by two former TPD police officers who told me, hey, they've been destroying guns, and we've got, we know, we know for a fact, because we, we were the ones who had to take the guns down to the place that destroyed them. Mm. So what we did was we got Representative Mark Fenton who is a very pro-gun uh, representative in the state legislature, to make a public records request of the city of Tucson for all records relating to the destruction of firearms. And he received records that where well over 1,000 guns were destroyed after the law had been passed. And he has since turned that, all that evidence over to the Arizona Attorney General, Mark Brnovich, for him to investigate. And... and if they're found to be in violation, the city of Tucson faces a loss of their share of the revenue, which could be $170 million a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so simultaneously, we're also looking at the possibility of filing a, a private uh, lawsuit, maybe with an organization, and I don't know which organization yet, I don't know if it'll be the NRA or another organization yet, may file suit against the city simultaneously so that they'll face consequences from both directions. Uh, and, and this is this is all because the city of Tucson has a, a, a philosophical, emotional hatred of firearms and gun owners. And the, the city council, the police chief, the mayor, they, they despise gun owners. They, they want to make these symbolic gestures of destroying guns and, and being able to, to say that they destroyed all these guns and, quote, took them off the street, when in reality they could be sold to a gun dealer who then uh, conducts a background check and sells it to a private citizen. Todd, you're talking and, about uh, Tucson, Arizona? Cowboy, yes, Arizona. Right? That's where all the old westerns were filmed, you know, old Tucson. I mean, that tells you, and, and it's in Arizona where the rest of us... As far as, well, maybe up in Sedona, maybe some some pockets and Flagstaff are pretty liberal. But I think for the most part, they are really, they're in the wrong place <laughs> with all this attitude. Well, it's, it's absolutely true. And what's, what's, what's interesting is, is that if it, the majority of people in, in Tucson are, are generally pro-gun. And, and um, the city council and the police chief, I mean, our, our recent police chief hire, was an anti-gun lunatic from California. I mean, this was a guy who marched with Black Lives Matter and, and did all and they, they went and hired this, this complete ultra-leftist lunatic from, uh, from California to be our new police chief. Now, even under the old police chief, guns are being destroyed. We don't even know if this police chief has destroyed any guns yet because we haven't gotten all the records yet. Mm. But... Um, they don't really represent the citizens of, of Tucson. And it's, 
really unfortunate um, that, you know, look, with the University of Arizona being here and our population not being um, uh, as great as the area of Phoenix, in other words, in relationship to, like, for instance, the general population of Phoenix is much greater than uh, the ASU-associated population. So down here, the U of A population, which is very liberal, is, is, is really a higher ratio to the number of, of citizens here. So they affect our local city council elections uh, disproportionately, and it's really unfortunate. Um, but but we've had these. We, I, I mean, we really have been having these problems with the city of Tucson since um, since the late '90s, and they've been anti-gun and and anti-gun activists since the late '90s. And we've been trying to put them in a box and keep them there. And I think we finally may may have finally found the solution with with putting the teeth into into the firearms preemption law. Yeah, when you hit people in their pocketbook, it tends to, to make them sit up straight for a minute. But what I hear you saying is that all elections not only matter, but they have consequences. You know, everybody's so focused on the, on the big election, the, the presidential election. But all these down tickets, you know, the mayors of your city, your city council, you have just told me and told all of our listeners that we need to be paying attention to who we're electing to those positions. Am I correct? Absolutely. And, and you need to pay attention to their record and what they're actually doing. So who and, elects the uh, chief of police? Well, the chief of police is not elected. No, that's, that's part of the problem. Who appoints it? Uh, the, the, the chief of police is appointed by the, the city council. There you go. And, um, and, and, and they make those decisions. And that's why so many chiefs of police are different than sheriffs. If you think about it, a sheriff is an elected official, and most sheriffs nationwide are pro-gun. Why? Because most of the population is pro-gun. Most people believe that you should be allowed to own a firearm. Some people think you should only be able to have it in your house, but most people do believe you should be able to own a firearm for your your self-defense and your family's self-defense. Well, sheriffs have to answer to the public. Police chiefs don't. They only have to answer to a bureaucratic city council. Hmm. And so that's why so many... Yeah, that's why so many uh, police chiefs around the country are anti-gun, because they believe that uh, by being anti-gun, they're serving their, their bureaucratic uh, city council masters. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, and that's, that's why we see this problem all over the country, is police chiefs are generally more anti-gun than, uh, than the local sheriff. Well, we've got a break again for commercial. But when we come back with Todd Rathner, we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people don't even know exists, and that is an organization called Knife Rights. Like, why on earth do we need knife rights? But Todd's going to stick around and tell us about it. You do not want to miss this. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I am asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf.org. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun-buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun-buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun, and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun? Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. Be a part of the gold rush and head on down to see my friends at Potty Gold Auctions in Avondale, Arizona. Or check out the auction online at PottyGoldEstate.com. These folks auction off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Everything is going, going, gone. So you best hurry and tell them Don Collier sent you. 
Thanks for sticking around with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And we've been talking with Mr. Todd Rathner. He has 20 years of experience lobbying for our second amendment issues and rights. He is the president of the NFA Freedom Alliance and the current director of legislative affairs for knife rights. Todd, what what the heck is that? You have to have an organization to fight for knife rights? So like at Thanksgiving time, maybe what am I going to do? Gum the, the turkey to death? Tell, tell me about this. Well, no, it's, it's, we, call it, uh, we call knife rights um, the second front in defense of the Second Amendment. And uh, matter of fact, if you go to our website, knifrights.org, um, you'll see that there is a law review article by none other than David Topol on knives in the Second Amendment and how um, uh, he believes, and, and so do we, that knives are arms protected under the, under the Second Amendment. And there are, uh, over the years, uh, under Jim Crow laws and under um, this, this voracious desire to regulate every aspect of our lives, many state governments have enacted laws that say that you can't own this kind of knife or that kind of knife, you can't own a switchblade, you can't own uh, a gravity knife, you can't own uh, a dagger, and you can't own a bowie knife. I mean, that's one of the big issues in Texas right now is that, you, you, believe it or not, you, you're not allowed to carry a bowie knife in Texas. That's just wrong. Um, I mean... Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And w- w- uh, Doug Ritter, who founded Knife Rights uh, back in 2009, um, and I, he and I got together in, uh, I think it was 2010 or 2011, um, to, uh, to start working on a state-by-state cleanup of the knife laws around the country. And we've been very successful. If you look at our website, you'll see, I think there's 17 states where we've corrected the knife laws. Uh, but, but one example is, is Texas, which is a very pro-Second Amendment state. I mean, you can walk into a Walmart, buy an AR-15, throw it on a, on a sling, put it over your shoulder, and, and walk out with it, walk down the street with it. Uh, but you, you, you couldn't carry uh, a switchblade knife in Texas. And so it's, it's fascinating. And yeah, so we, we went in there and we changed that law. And now you can, you can carry any knife that you want, except for dirt, daggers, stilettos, and bowie knives, which we're going back for in 2017. But it's, it's fascinating because um, what we found is, is that based on the arrest record in most states, People that are arrested for carrying an illegal knife are more likely, in, in, in many cases, like New York State is a very good example, uh, somewhere around 68% of the people that are arrested for carrying an illegal knife are people of color. They're either black or Hispanic. And w- so what we found is when we start to educate people, especially those on the left, traditionally people that are opposed to the Second Amendment, opposed to our rights, when we educate those folks on the fact that the people that are getting arrested for possession of these tools, essentially, uh, without committing a crime, just possession of the tool, uh, when we point out that they're people of color, all of a sudden, folks from the other side of the aisle, the, de- the Democrats, all of a sudden start to want to support the reform of these knife laws. Now, if, hmm. you, think about it logic- if you think about it logically, what does what is a politician's main job? It's to get reelected, right? Right. So, if if all of these folks of 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 color are being arrested and losing their their ability to vote, because that's one of the things that happens if you're if you're convicted of a felony, uh, you, you you lose your right to vote. There's a lot of self interest involved in this for for Democrat politicians. So a lot of them, believe it or not, are coming around. Uh, in New York State, for instance, we just passed a law that fixes their gravity knife law, because right now, any pocket knife that you can flick open, and, and if you work on any knife long enough, you can flick it open. Um, any knife you flick open, you can be arrested for possessing it under their gravity knife statute. So we just passed a law in New York that redefines what is and what is not a gravity knife. And what we said is, is that a common pocket knife cannot be defined as a gravity knife. That passed through a majority Democrat assembly 
and a and a, a majority Democrat. I mean, uh, a split a split uh, Senate um, with every single Democrat in both houses voting yes, with a Democrat sponsor in the Assembly and a Democrat sponsor in the Senate, and and it flew and it flew through both houses. It, it uh, we we passed it with. Um, an overwhelming majority in the assembly with only 11 votes against it. And then in the, in the Senate, it passed unanimously and it's now sitting on governor Cuomo's desk and we're hoping that he'll sign it. And fascinatingly enough, the, the NAACP and the ACLU both came out in favor of our knife reform law in the state of New York. Well, 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 I mean, isn't that what they're supposed to be doing in the first place is protecting our civil rights and w- well, what's more core to our civil rights than b- the ability to protect our own lives? Well, yeah, of course. And, and what, what, what's more core than, than removing reasons for the police to arrest you for victimless crime? Uh, I mean, what, what is more, uh, more important as a civil right uh, th- than that? You know, but, um, I know we're, we're, I, we can keep talking about knife rights. There are two things that I want to make sure I mention. I don't know how much yeah, time we please. have left. We've so got, can, I, uh, can I do that? Yeah, absolutely. We've got about five minutes left, I think. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, the, the NFA Freedom Alliance, which is a, a, a project of mine that um, I've been working on for a while to, to, help, to help protect the right to own these NFA items, uh, we've, we've, we've repealed the bans on hunting with suppressors. We've, uh, we've worked on um, a bunch of different laws that, that make it easier to own NFA items in different states because there's a bunch of state laws that regulate these things. We've been making a lot of progress, and one of the ways that we fund the NFA Freedom Alliance is through a raffle that we do. And I, I wanted to get people to, uh, to sign up for the raffle, um, and you could win a, a, a really cool hand-built AK-47, um, semi-automatic AK-47 short-barreled rifle, with a suppressor, and we pay the two the two $200 tax stamps. So it's $400 worth of tax stamps. It's about a $1,800 rifle and a $1,000 suppressor. Uh, and, and if people want to, uh, to enter that raffle, it's very easy. All you need to do is go to our Facebook page. Go to Facebook and, and enter in NFA Freedom Alliance and do a search on Facebook. When you find our Facebook page, you'll see there's ads for the raffle all over the page. Uh, and, and that's the way that we fund this thing. And, and we really need people to come in, even if you come just buy a $20 ticket, um, they can, they can do that. The other way they can support us, uh, I've seen this before. People will say, well, I've got like, you know, I got eight bucks in my PayPal account and, you know, I'd like to just throw it at the NFA Freedom Alliance. How can I do that? Well, they can, they can send it to Todd at NFAFA.org. And if they want to donate the $3.32 they've got sitting in their PayPal account, we'll, we'll be happy to take it. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is, is that I, I'm a member of the NRA's board of directors. And um, I, I've, I've, been, I've been a member of the board since 1999, and I'm up for re-election. So NRA voting members will be getting a ballot in the mail in about February, January or February. And um, I would be very grateful uh, to folks if they would vote for me uh, in, the, in the upcoming election. Uh, and part of that, that I will, what I will suggest is, is that it, you, you can vote for 25 people. And what I would suggest is, is vote for as few people on that list as you can. Uh, vote for me and then vote for a few others, but, but don't vote for the full 25 because that increases the strength of your vote. Uh, you know, there are some folks that are running that are famous, uh, like uh, Tom Selleck, who he's going to get elected. He doesn't need your vote, um, <laughs> but 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 I need your vote. Right. And uh, and, and, and 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 I've done a, I, I think I've done a lot as a as an NRA director to help the NRA to see certain things and and to keep the NRA on the right track. And uh, and I'll continue to do that if people will vote for me. So look for your ballot. And, uh, and check out the NFA Freedom Alliance on Facebook and, and help support us. Awesome. Todd, can all members from the, in the NRA vote? No. You have to be a voting member, which means you either have a five-year consecutive membership, that's a voting member, or if you're a life member. Lifetime, okay. So See, any, anybody that's a, a paid lifetime member or five-year consecutive member is going to automatically get a ballot with their magazine in, I think it's January or February, I can't remember which issue of the magazine. 
That's awesome. And I think you really did a pretty good job already. But, um, you know, people, there's been so many new members to the NRA in the last, let's say, I don't know, eight years. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. Uh, you know, President Obama is maybe making people uh, scared and they're running for help to uh, to the NRA to, to help make sense out of life and to protect their rights. And so if they're new and they don't really understand, well, what what are, do you do as a board member? Like, what am I voting for you to do? It is that you're you're helping uh, the, the NRA itself to go in the direction that the people are are looking for is that kind of yeah in a yeah, nutshell yeah. essentially we're like we're sort of like we're sort of like legislators except that we actually listen to the people that vote <laughs> for us um <laughs> that's awesome you know we we set we set the policies and 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 have oversight of the nra as a whole so all of the programs that you see all of the uh all, all the political activities that is all overseen by the 76-member board of directors of this 5-million-member organization. So we've got 76 of us that oversee the organization. We oversee all of the staff. We oversee all of the programs. And, I mean, quite frankly, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten an email or a phone call from an NRA member who said, you know, Todd, I'm really angry at the NRA about this thing. And they'll tell me what the thing is, and I'll, I'll get on the phone immediately, and I will call the staff, and I'll root it out, and I'll find out if there's a way to fix it. Sometimes I'll find out that the member is wrong and the staff is not doing what the member said they were doing. Mm. Sometimes I'll find out that the, that the member was right and the staff is wrong, and I'll do my best to help correct it. And as an NRA director, that's, that's what I do, and that's what my 75 other colleagues also do. That's awesome. That's an important job, and I think you're such a the right person to be uh, doing that because just like at the top of the hour when we were talking about what the heck is a NFA item and why should I care, you did such a great job of being able to take something like you know a suppressor and say and take it from well who would want that to well who wouldn't want that. So <laughs> that's that's a really good point. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you so much for taking so much of your Saturday when you could be out with the family uh, to chat with us and our listeners. You know, we are based here in Arizona. You're up there in Tucson. But we are speaking to the entire nation. We actually have listeners worldwide. And I, I think that it's so important for people to be able to hear what's going well and hear some of those cautionary tales like, you know, that what Tucson's doing with the the public assets and, you know, so they can be watchdogs in their own community. So I really appreciate your time, Todd. Well, I, I appreciate you giving me the platform to, to speak to your audience. I'm, I'm very grateful and I'm, I'm happy to give you the time anytime you need me. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for all you do. Keep up the good work. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Excellent. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Stick around because we still have our number two of Gun Freedom Radio, where we'll be having our responsibly armed citizen report and, of course, Dan's commentary. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at polygoldestate.com. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. 
gun? Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is an old town Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. Firearms.com.